0: Welcome back to Ending Explained, a film review podcast that takes a deep dive into those tricky and intriguing open endings. I'm your host, Kenna Park, and today we're talking about the new 2022 psychological thriller, Don't Worry Darling. This movie is directed by Olivia Wilde with screenplay by Katie Silberman. It stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is currently at a 38%, and the audience score is at a 79%. And the Rotten Tomatoes consensus is, despite an intriguing array of talent, on either side of the camera, Don't Worry Darling, is a mostly muddled rehash of overly familiar themes. So, we will address this overall poor response from critics Later on in the episode, and usually I don't really address real-life stuff surrounding movies because my approach is to more so interpret the endings and messages of movies, but in this case, it all kind of wraps up together, as we'll see later in the episode, so stick around. Um, My background with this movie is I have been looking forward to it for a long time. Because I, along with the majority of the world, have fallen in love with Lawrence Pugh. And I also, along with the majority of the world, love Harry Styles. Maybe not the majority. I don't know. I hear mixed things about him. But I think both of them are great. And also, this movie is by Olivia Wilde. It's her second directorial movie after Smart, which was amazing. Obviously, a much different genre and just movie approach than this, but I was excited nonetheless. They've been marketing this film for what feels like two years now, so the buildup has been quite intense. And then just because it deals with themes of feminism and that it's kind of this creepy thriller, it's just right up my alley. So I was really looking forward to this. I was very thoroughly disappointed when the early reviews started coming out and criticizing the movie pretty, pretty harshly. But again, more on that later. And before I jump into the plot summary, I would just like to invite all listeners to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast uh, wherever you're listening on. I would love to see some more five-star ratings and even a quick comment would be absolutely wonderful because we are all slaves to the algorithm, and it would be great if, you know, the gods of the algorithms that be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and what have you gave gave this podcast a little more attention. Anyways, let's jump into the plot summary. <music> Alice and Jack are a young happy couple in the 1950s living in an idyllic neighborhood of the company town of Victory, California, which has been created and paid for by the mysterious company of the same name for which Jack works. Every day, the men go to work at Victory headquarters out in the surrounding desert, while their wives, Alice, her friend Bunny, the pregnant peg, newcomer Violet, and Margaret, along with others, stay home to clean, relax, and prepare dinner for their husbands. The women are discouraged from asking questions about their husband's work and are told not to venture out to headquarters due to the dangerous materials the company works with. Margaret has become an outcast among the other wives after taking her son out into the desert, resulting in her son's apparent death. Margaret claims that victory took her son from her as punishment but these claims are dismissed by the others as a trauma-induced paranoia. While attending a party hosted by Frank, Victory's enigmatic founder and leader, Alice sees Margaret's husband attempting to give her medication. Later, while Alice and Jack secretly have sex in Frank's bedroom, Alice realizes Frank is observing them, but says nothing. One morning, while riding the trolley across town, Alice witnesses a red biplane crash somewhere out in the desert, Alice disembarks and rushes into the desert to help, accidentally stumbling on Victory Headquarters, a small building covered in mirror-like windows. After touching one of the windows, she experiences surreal hallucinations before waking up back home later that night to find Jack preparing their dinner. In the following days, Alice begins to experience increasingly strange occurrences. She is almost crushed between a window and a moving wall, and she finds a box of eggs to be filled only with hollow shells. She receives a phone call from Margaret, who claims to have seen the same thing Alice had. Later, during a dance lesson lectured by Frank's wife, Shelley, Alice sees a vision of Margaret's reflection violently banging her head against a mirror. She rushes back to their neighborhood just in time to see Margaret slit her own throat and fall from the roof of her house. Alice is dragged away by strange men in red jumpsuits before she can reach Margaret's body. Alice attempts to explain the events to Jack, but Jack dismisses them, explaining that Margaret simply fell while cleaning the windows and is perfectly fine and recovering in the hospital with her husband, who has been forced to leave the Victory Project in order to care for her. This version is further corroborated by the town physician, Dr. Collins, who claims to have treated Margaret and attempts to give Alice the same prescription drugs. Alice later breaks into Dr. Collins' briefcase and finds a heavily redacted medical file for Margaret, which she then burns in frustration. Alice becomes increasingly paranoid and confused, feeling as if Frank is watching her every move. During a special victory event in which Frank gives Jack a special promotion, Alice has a breakdown in the bathroom and is comforted by Bunny. Alice attempts to explain everything to Bunny, but Bunny reacts angrily, accusing Alice of being selfish and attempting to ruin everything for everyone, pointing out she sounds just like Margaret. Sometime later, Alice and Jack invite the rest of the neighborhood, except Bunny and her husband Dean, to dinner with Frank and Shelley as special guests. Frank speaks privately with Alice in the kitchen, intimating that she's right in her suspicions and confessing that he's been waiting for someone like her to challenge him. Spurred on by Frank's confession, Alice attempts to expose him and the inconsistencies in victory over dinner. Instead, Frank gaslights her, making her look delusional to the other guests. In the aftermath, Alice begs Jack to take them both away from victory. Jack initially agrees, but when Alice gets in the car, he lets her be taken away by Frank's men. Dr. Collins forces Alice to undergo electroshock therapy. During the procedure, Alice sees visions of herself and another life as a present-day surgeon named Alice Warren who lives with the unemployed Jack and struggles to make ends meet. Alice returns to victory, apparently cured of her hysteria, and reunites with Jack and with Bunny. However, as Alice resumes her normal life, she continues to have hallucinations and flashbacks. Alice later remembers the whole truth, that victory is a simulated world created by Frank, and that Jack has kidnapped her and forced her into the simulation in the hope they can lead a perfect life together. When Jack realizes she knows the truth, he claims he did this for her as she was miserable in her real life, but Alice is enraged that Jack took away her autonomy. Jack hugs Alice, begging her to forgive him, but begins to crush her, and Alice kills him with a glass tumbler in self-defense, killing Jack in the real world as well. Frank is alerted to Jack's death and sends his men to capture her. Alice is found with Jack's body by Bunny, who explains that she has known all along that Victory is a simulation, but chooses to stay so she can be with her children, who are dead in real life. Bunny tells Alice to flee to Victory Headquarters, which is an exit portal from the simulation, and holds off Bill when he attempts to attack Alice for killing Jack. The other wives gradually begin to realize the truth as their husbands start to panic. Alice steals Jack's car and drives out towards Victory Headquarters, chased by Dr. Collins and Frank's men. She tricks Dr. Collins into killing himself and several others in a car crash. At their house, Shelley stabs Frank to death, claiming it is now her turn. Alice makes it to Victory Headquarters, where she encounters a vision of Jack asking her to stay. Alice ignores the vision and rushes to the window just before Frank's men reach her. Over a black screen, The sound of Alice gasping for air is heard. Alright, let's dive into this movie, which I found to be so, so fun to watch and then to analyze afterwards for this episode. This really felt like an intriguing combo of... The Village from M. Night Shyamalan and The Matrix and Stepford Wives and Get Out and so many other movies, but at least to me, in a way that was still fresh and new. When we finally realized through the flashbacks that it's actually modern day, immediately The Village came to my mind before we found out that not only is it actually modern day, but that this is actually a simulation. I thought it was going to be more like The Village where this is just a secluded area in the desert as opposed to, like, in the woods like it was in Nightstern in the village. And somehow they had wiped these women's memories clean. And I don't know if that would have been maybe a better explanation. No, I don't think so, because then there wouldn't have been as much to do with the whole glitches and the simulation that made for such interesting visuals and Plot points to the movie. Anyways, and then, of course, The Matrix being the connection to, oh, this is all a simulation. And then, of course, a lot of people have compared this movie to The Stepford Wives with the themes of patriarchy and feminism and discovering the patriarchal system that women are in. And then Get Out, it's kind of like a white female version of Get Out. There's literally a quote where Frank is telling alice or just women in general that they're brainwashing to sink deeper into the way things are supposed to be so kind of like the sunken place and get out there's a lot of other parallels but anyways let's just try to explain the messiness of this movie so the very very end the screen cuts to black and then we hear alice gasping which i'm assuming implies that she has escaped And how exactly did she escape? What is this whole Victory Headquarters mysterious building in the middle of the desert? So from what I understand, Victory Headquarters is an exit portal from the simulation, and this is where all the men had been coming every day when they, quote, went to work, and were just exiting the simulation through these headquarters and I guess that the way you exit the simulation is you just go up to the window and look through it and then you're transported out. Anyway, so our girl Alice is actually a surgeon in real life and her husband has stolen that life from her to become a 50s housewife. Um, Alice's husband, Jack, is seen listening to this podcast in the flashback to present day. That's kind of funny, flashback to present day. Um, a podcast from Frank explaining about this special virtual reality tech that Frank has invented that allows a man and the woman of his choosing to be plugged into this 50s-style suburban simulation. And an important part of this is that the man in the couple consents for both himself and the woman to be implanted into the simulation, which reflects a lot of our past structures and situations in which women do not have a choice. The husband is the one who made the decision for the entire family without getting the wife's consent. Super great. So overall, Alice throughout the movie is figuring this out. That maybe, and maybe she has even figured this out more than once and then is given some sort of shock therapy that resets her memory and plants her back into the simulation until at the end she eventually manages to escape. Did she, does she escape permanently? The movie leaves that kind of open-ended, but I feel like the odds are looking pretty good because at this point when she is waking up from the simulation, a lot most of the men, the main men who have been controlling her are now dead. Her husband's dead, Frank is dead, the doctor's dead. So this whole victory plan is kind of falling apart, which I think gives Alice some good odds that she has officially escaped. One thing that happened at the very end too is Shelley stabbing Frank to death, which I thought might be a question that a lot of people would come away from this movie asking is why did that happen? It kind of seemed to come out of the blue. So she says, you stupid, stupid man, it's my turn now when she stabs him. And her status throughout the whole movie is sort of a mystery. It seems like she's being supportive and even like takes this big stance, stands up for him at that dinner party when Alice goes on the offensive and is accusing Frank of all these things. And she you know, basically tells Alice, shame on you, he's incredible. So... It went from that, I think that's the last scene we see her in, until the scene where she is stabbing her husband, calling him a stupid, stupid man. So, has she known this was a simulation the whole time, like Bunny did? Or did Frank initially trick her, and then she eventually found out, sort of in the same way that Alice did, and also, she says, it's my turn now. What, what is it her turn to do? To Is she taking over the simulation, or is it just her turn to escape and live her own life? So that's definitely open-ended. If I had to guess, from Frank's really skeezy character, I would guess that she wasn't even his wife beforehand in the real world. She was just some woman that he picked for himself to be his partner in the simulation and trapped her. And at first, this is my guess again, is that she did not know that it was a simulation and then eventually over time felt out and was just playing the act until she felt it was a good time to reveal her hand. So also a big question at the beginning of the movie that is eventually answered is where are all the men going every day what are they doing the answer that the movie gives us is that every day they're coming out of the simulation working in the real world for a work day to make money to afford paying to live this life and for their wives to live this life in the simulation full-time and so they go out in the world work I don't know eight-ish hours work a full work day And then they come back into the simulation and come home to their wives. And I feel like this is basically the ultimate pyramid scheme of Frank's where it's like, I've created this product and it's gonna change your life and it's not sketchy at all and recruit people and pay me all the money you ever make. Another question I think I had and a lot of people might have after the end of this movie is why does Alice see Jack at the end right before she reaches headquarters it's kind of like this vision she's almost to the glass uh, window she's being chased by people and Jack comes up behind her and obviously he's dead so this is some sort of hallucination and I'm guessing maybe this just wasn't my one of my favorite parts of the movie or my favorite film decision Because it seems like it's trying to be pretty symbolic but in reality it's just like adding another layer, kind of breaking the rules of this world that they've established in virtual reality. It's like Jack is dead so why is he coming back? Is it in her head? Why is she having this vision? Maybe it is just supposed to be a visual representation of the dilemma of okay am I going to just like completely leave him behind? And like she kind of already has, so I get that it ups the drama, but maybe not the best filmmaking decision to have him pop up one more time there. And then I just really love the symbolism of her rushing to the window to look out, and that's her key to escape. That's the key to get out of the simulation because basically what she's been told this whole time is don't look, stay unaware of our manipulation. Sure, it takes away your power of choice, but it's good for you, and so literally what she has to do to escape this manipulation and being trapped in this world is to just rush to a window and look out of it to discover where she is and take a good look at what her actual situation is. All right, some themes and metaphors that are very prevalent in this movie. The first I want to hit on is kind of... This theme of order versus chaos, and also control through repetition, which also kind of falls under the category of order. So sometimes you can have too much order, as opposed to what Frank likes to drill into people's minds. Um... Having too much order can take away free choice. Sometimes we need a little more chaos to disrupt unhealthy systems and societies that have fallen into these patterns. Alice, talking about Margaret, says, after Margaret has passed away or left the simulation, however you'd like to interpret it, Alice, talking about Margaret, says, she was asking questions they don't want us to ask, so they silenced her. And so this correlates back to the theme of order versus chaos, where we need to ask questions, make waves, disrupt the order of silence by making chaos in this way, asking questions that people don't want us to ask. And also, the order and repetition is a form or a means to the end of being controlling. So this movie does a really awesome job of showing how control can be rendered through patterns and repetitions. I really love how every morning the film makes a point to really highlight with memorable visuals and sounds of Alice making breakfast for her husband each morning, cracking the eggs, frying the bacon, scraping the toast with butter, and it's just this repetition over and over drooling into our minds. And it's not until Alice starts breaking these patterns that she does every day of her life that she starts to uncover the control that's happening to her. Again, she is introducing chaos into this control as a way to take her life back in her own hands. There's also those dancing scenes where we get this eerie chanting the women are chanting things like We Move as One, Beauty and Control, Grace and Symmetry, We Move As One, which is basically them saying we are sheep blindly following this <laughs> pattern that Frank has put us in. Another big theme is, well, obviously overall patriarchy and feminism, but within that, there's this there's this idea that the film presents about the patriarchal ideal. Life, or I would kind of call it the masculine paradise. So we see in the flashback, Jack is in front of his computer, real life Jack, who is very much un-Harry Styles-ish with the way he dresses and his hair and the way he talks. He's kind of greasy and just not great. We see him listening to Frank telling him from his computer screen that modern society has smothered men's potential that there's beauty and control, grace and symmetry. We need to find our true selves. This is our biological destiny. We need to move as one, all these buzzwords that Frank loves using. And basically what Frank is selling is this masculine paradise, this place, this victory place in the simulation. It's great for men in some ways. Frank tells everyone, but this really only applies to men, that you are worthy of the life you desire and live the life you deserve better way different way all of all of this that frank spews out it only applies to the men there's the speech that frank makes at the beginning i think they were in a backyard around a pool he's saying all of you wives we men ask a lot discretion above all else and then he tells them that they're just as vital to the victory project as the men and here's a hint if you need to reassure women in a group that they're just as important then they're not actually being treated as just as important. So he's seemingly praising the women in this moment while actually patronizing. So again, this leads back to the idea of this patriarchal paradise where maybe they're putting on this facade that men and women are equal, but in reality, they're not. They have all the power, they have all the control, and then they just patronize the women into believing that they're special too. And Jack tells Alice that I'm part of something that matters. And then there's this banner at that big party where Jack does that really too long scene of a dance. The banners in the background say, today victory, tomorrow the world. And then they're singing that chant that really feels too Nazi-ish. The chant of whose world is it? Ours. And so all of this just gets at this desire, this Masculine paradise desire to become masters of the world, or as Rose and Titanic call back to last episode says, masters of the universe in their smoking room. They just have this, in a very selfish way, the desire to change the course of history at the expense of women and even other men. There's the scene in the kitchen where Frank is talking to Alice and kind of reveals his hand a little bit and says, No man has changed the course of history without being pushed. You push me, and I hope you keep going. So basically, we're just... This is showing that Frank is attempting to change the course of history in his own selfish ways by stepping on the backs of women, especially Alice here. She's just a stepping stone to help him get to this goal of being master of the universe. So while this patriarchal paradise is great for men in a lot of ways, it is empty and unfulfilling for women. Their whole purpose in this in this victory world is to support their husbands, to send them off to work with a nice with a nice breakfast and a kiss, and then to spend their day cleaning and cooking and then welcoming their husbands back home with a meal and sex. I feel like this idea that the victory project is empty and unfulfilling for women is really symbolized with that scene where Alice is crumbling those empty eggs it's just this empty and unfulfilling part even though on the outside it looks great looks like a normal egg and yeah so patriarchal paradise not great for women but sometimes great for men Another big theme that I want to discuss is the emotional and psychological abuse that goes on in this film. Yes, I'm going to talk about gaslighting. Yes, the term is overused and often misused, but without argument, Alice is being truly and intentionally gaslit here. So let's just revisit the definition of gaslighting. It is manipulating someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. The signs of gaslighting include insisting you said or did things you know you didn't do, denying or scoffing at your recollection of events, calling you too sensitive or crazy when you express your needs or concerns, expressing doubts to others about your feelings, behavior, and state of mind, twisting or retelling events to shift blame to you, and insisting that they're right and refusing to consider facts or your, your perspective. And now, we don't need to go over all the examples in this movie of gaslighting. There are so many that are very heavy-handedly, blatantly obvious. A few that do come to mind, though, is in particular, one is the scene after Alice sees the plane crash and then wakes up at home with her husband. She brings up the plane crash and he says, I think I would have heard if there was a plane crash and completely gaslights her in this scene. And then also another big example in the movie is everyone's reaction to Alice after Alice sees Margaret die by suicide. When she goes to the doctor later in the movie, he tells her that witnessing trauma can lead to distorted memories, basically telling her, your memories are incorrect. And I'm going to tell you that because you witnessed trauma. You cannot trust your own mind. And then another big theme here is choice, free will, autonomy, however you'd like to call it. It all comes down to choice in this Victory Project. And it all comes down to choice when it comes to feminism. Women having a choice and knowing that they have a choice is what feminism comes down to. And that goes for women who know they have options and choose to be a stay-at-home spouse or mom. And women knowing that they have the options and choosing to be a surgeon who's unmarried, just like Atlas was in this movie. I think that she wasn't married to Jack in real life. Not sure. Maybe they're just dating. So, yeah, along those lines, maybe parts of Alice's life depicted in the first half of the movie are actually what some women out there want. Being a stay-at-home spouse, if that is what works for you, that is a Great. 100% true feminists would support that as long as women are making that decision knowing that they have the options and that's truly what they want among all the options that they have out there. When Frank's character is saying um, to everyone in Victory that they need to live the life they deserve, Basically, what's actually happening here is that the men are deciding for the women the lives that they deserve. And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to choice. Okay, let's also look at some of the main characters. These characters were very interesting. So, of course, we'll start with My Girl Alice slash Florence Pugh. I really love how anytime at least in my mind, there's a connection to Alice in Wonderland. I feel like that is an evergreen illusion that you can always go back to and relate to and have metaphors and callbacks to in any form of art. It's just this such a great story to go back to. But her name being Alice seems that this is alluding to Alice in Wonderland, where this female character gets stuck in this alternative world that is weird and wacky and she needs to find her way out to escape. And another thing I love about this Alice character is even at the beginning, when she's fully entrenched and buying into this simulation, she's pushing back in small ways even then. Her old self outside of the the simulation is still there. She, at the very beginning, talks about how she doesn't want kids, which is not typical for that era or setting at all, and she's also sympathizing with Margaret at the very beginning, albeit hesitantly and not fully, and she kind of backs down after pushing back a little while, and also, can I just say, I wanted to just begin applauding in the movie theater like an idiot when she purposefully sits at the head of the table at the dinner party. That was just wonderful. Loved it. We all need to do that more often, just like very intentionally and loudly take the seat at the head of the table (laughs) let's all start doing that more okay and then jack the casting choice for jack in my opinion is actually pretty brilliant i don't know how um shia labeouf would have ended up playing him because as many of us know He was the first choice, then he got replaced by Harry Styles. It was a whole drama. I'm not going to get into all that drama. But basically, I think that the choice to cast Harry Styles is pretty brilliant. Whatever you have to say about Harry's acting. I'm one of those people that really cannot tell super well whether someone is good or bad at acting, unless it's like very, very bad, then I can tell. But as long as you kind of cross that threshold of being decent. I have a hard time telling. <laughs> so, I'm hearing a lot of people say that Harry's acting was not great, but I thought it was pretty I thought it was pretty good. Maybe I've got the love goggles on because you know, you know, it's Harry Styles. Anyways, but the reason why this casting choice was brilliant, whether or not Harry is a good actor, is because he's one of the biggest most popular celebrities among young women and beyond at this moment in time. So he was perfect for playing this part of the ideal husband, part of the perfect, blissful, newlywed life. And in the end, when we find out that this is a simulation and Jack on the outside has kind of chosen this avatar, um, whereas opposed in real life, we see him playing this unappealing, jobless boyfriend to Alice, and he's hunched over this computer, and his hair is different, his clothes are different, and he doesn't have the alluring British accent anymore, and so that just kind of jolts viewers into the idea that, oh, this man was, like, too good to be true, too perfect, because he's literally this avatar simulation that this kind of greasy-looking Jack in real life has created as an as an avatar and he sort of had this ability to choose the accent, choose the look, choose the idyllic life for himself and for Alice, the idyllic life at least in his mind for Alice. And then another thing about Jack is this boy has a martyr complex. He gives this whole speech once he realizes that Alice is figuring stuff out about how he did all of this for us and we're lucky to be here and I gave this to you and I leave every day to make enough money for us to stay here. You get to stay here, and you're happy, and we're perfect here. And it's just like, whoa, calm down, Jack. You are not a martyr because you are going out and working eight hours a day. Oh, oh man. All right, let's move on to Frank. Can we just agree that Chris Pine did a spectacular job as a villain? Can we give him more villain roles because... I think he aced it. Again, not a good judge when it comes to acting. Maybe he was actually doing a really bad job. <laughs> I thought it was great. I love how the film sets it up where there are several scenes of Frank overlooking everyone, whether it's himself up on the balcony kind of looking down, or even a portrait, like a painting or a picture of him hanging up above everyone looking down on them. Apparently. This character was based on Jordan Peterson, who's a controversial, far-right, traditionalist media personality. I don't know much about him. I've heard the advice to just not look him up and just know that he is a pig. (laughs) And also, Frank is just supposed to represent basic men's rights activists. And we've seen these sorts of guys just spewing nonsense, motivational speech with empty buzzwords on the internet and it's often flavored with some sexism and a call to return back to more patriarchal times, traditionalists, which is a keyword for crazy sexist. So basically Frank is this embodiment, embodiment, embodiment. <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. It's too late at night. He embodies the admiration for toxic men by susceptible men. And also he represents the fact that who do we take seriously? Do we take seriously this guy who's just spouting rhetoric with huge logical holes and little to no sense? Or are we taking Alice seriously, who is figuring out the truth? And throughout the movie, again and again, we don't just see the characters siding with Frank and taking him more seriously All the characters are treating him with, like, this reverence. It's very culty, cult leader-ish. It's just... (sighs) Men are still looked to as the ones to trust. And then women, when figuring this sort of stuff out, are treated as hysterical, as Alice is accused of being in this movie. And also Frank is just stringing everyone along like puppets. Which I think I've heard some people talk about the scene where um, Frank is having Jack dance up on the stage. I agree that it is a strange scene and that it goes on for way too long and it's just weird. But what I think this scene is getting at is Frank starts us off by saying, screaming to the crowd, Do you want to see this boy dance? And then he keeps telling Jack what to do. And this Scene is there to show that Frank is stringing everyone along like puppets, even the men. The women, to an even further degree, but also the men there are his puppets. And that's not to say that these men are not without fault, because they definitely have a lot of fault, but Frank is kind of the puppeteer mastermind of this whole victory project, and he's just controlling everyone. Alright, then Bunny's character who is played by none other than a beguiling Olivia Wilde. She kind of represents this internal sexism, showing how women themselves can have this sexism ingrained within them. Just because you're a woman doesn't automatically mean that you are not inherently sexist. It's just the environment that we're we're raised in, that we live in. And Bunny also represents how some women benefit in some ways within a patriarchal system. She's choosing to stay in that system instead of pushing back against it because she benefits from it. All right, and then I also want to touch on Margaret. She's not in it a ton. She's more highlighted at the beginning. So she's the woman who went through this horrible discovery about what victory is before Alice, and she paved the way for Alice. And there's the scene where the women are gossiping about how Margaret took her son out into the desert and then claimed that Victory took her son from her to punish her, but they think that she just killed him or that he died because she took him out there. And then we find out that what really happened was that she discovered her son wasn't real, or at least this is what I think the movie is insinuating, that Margaret she's catching along with things she discovers her son is not real as bunny explains about all the children in victory being not real children and that is why she took her took him out into the desert and why you know she she wasn't actually risking a child's life by doing that also i just i feel like the setting itself is a character in this movie It's set in the 1950s to create this connection between the world today and the world then, and how we haven't gone as far as we might think or claim in women's rights. It's like this microcosm for oppressive controlling systems. Also, just huge props to everyone involved in the movie's design. It was just an incredible period piece. I loved every moment of just the visuals. So great. Okay, let's get to the critic response to this movie. Like I said before, I'm not going to get into the petty drama and publicity stunts that have been surrounding this movie ever since, you know, for the last two years, boiling up to... Yeah, I'm not even going to get into it, but these real-life critic responses to the film corresponds with the movie's themes and ending. And... So this movie comments on patriarchal society and some critics, I feel like the general gist of why critics are saying they do not like this movie is because they're claiming that it doesn't go beyond that just general theme of patriarchal society, that it doesn't go far enough into that theme. Basically, I feel like the critics are saying we already get it. But honestly, do we? Like, do we? (laughs) Just because... You've learned about sexism and understand sexism is real. That doesn't mean that you don't have more to learn about it. I've studied it extensively, and I have so much more to learn. So this movie is set in the 1950s to create that connection between the world today and the world then, and how we haven't gone as far as we might think, and... I guess what the critics are saying is, yeah, we get it. The 1950s were bad, and I guess it kind of correlates to today, but I think I think Olivia Wilde was pretty purposeful in that. Now, this movie and Olivia Wilde helming this movie is no Jordan Peele. It's been compared as a weaker version of Get Out. And Jordan Peele, love him. He's the king. He's the goat. He sets impossibly high standards in this genre. And so I think it's unfair to hold Olivia Wilde to that standard. As much as I would love for most directors out there of these thriller, mystery, psychological, spooky horror genre that have deep themes, I would love for all of those directors to be at the same level as Jordan Peele. That would be great. But that is an unrealistic expectation. And even if Olivia Wilde doesn't come up to par with Jordan Peele, I think she still does a pretty good job. And also, do we necessarily need a movie to say something completely new every time? It's still this movie is still making a statement and it's still challenging people. And so maybe the point is we still need to repeat these same messages about feminism and the patriarchy in the art that people create. Because society is stuck. It is stuck. So overall, these themes of gender and power and repression and gaslighting and manipulation, these are evergreen themes. And I hope that people keep making art expressing these themes over and over again. I think there will always be things to say about it. So that's my take. And also the last thing I'll say about this poor critic reception is just to an extent... When women like things or make things, people just have to take a crap on them for little to no good reason. And I think that is partially what is going on with this critic reception. Do I think it's an amazing movie? No. Do I think it's a good movie with some intriguing things to say? Yes, I do. And I think that this critic reception of just pooping all over the movie is unwarranted. All right. Let's change gears to some confusing and unanswered questions from this movie. So what's with the bouts of shaking in victory, those like mild earthquakes? Does it have to do with the simulation? Maybe glitching? Same thing with the airplane that Alice sees crashing. Is this just supposed to kind of imply, oh, there's a glitch that's going on? In the Matrix, I mean the simulation of victory. Um, I think maybe this is also, I guess, the answer to why Alice begins to see things that aren't there and starts losing track of time, those sorts of things. Glitches in her brainwashing slash, slash the, the simulation, I guess. Also, when Alice first goes to headquarters after seeing the plane crash and she looks through the window and all of a sudden it turns bright red and she has this crazy hallucination, is she discovering at that point that it's all a simulation and then gets re-brainwashed all over again like she does later that we actually see? Also, another question. What do all of Alice's real-world friends and family and coworkers think about Alice's sudden and complete absence? Like, what is Jack doing to, like, have that whole... Like, to just have Alice's absence not be a big deal and have people coming in to check on her? Also, when it comes to some of the things that Alice hallucinates about, I don't really understand beyond just that they're interesting visuals and kind of creepy how they connect back to what's actually happening. Like the black and white dancers in the visions? Not quite sure why she's seen those. And also, there's the scene where they're at the big party where Jack gets the promotion, and... Alice all of a sudden gets so, so triggered and starts having all these realizations and panicking and having this panic attack when the stripper is doing her thing at the party. So what? why the stripper? Why was that the trigger for Alice? I'm not sure. Maybe it reminded her of those black and white dancers in the visions? Not sure. One little theory that I wanted to touch on that I think is actually a pretty hopeful and nice thing to think is that Margaret actually is not dead. So at the end, when Bunny reveals her hand, she specifically says that if men die in this virtual reality, then they die in real life. I don't know why the rules are different for women, but maybe this means that when Margaret cuts her throat and falls off the roof, That she was actually just escaping the simulation. So maybe the ending for Margaret was actually great. And she just followed the same... I don't know, because does that mean that Alice could have just killed herself in the simulation to escape instead of making that very arduous (laughs) run up that mountain to the headquarters and looking through the window? I'm not sure. Okay. Let us end here on some of my favorite Letterboxd reviews for this movie. Okay, so Tyler on Letterboxd left a review saying, Breaking news, Florence Pugh has reportedly been hospitalized, due to severe back pain caused by carrying this entire movie. (laughs) Love it. Anna Heat says of Don't Worry Darling, Finally, white women have their get out. (laughs) Love that. Allie says, movie about the dangers of letting men have and listen to podcasts. <laughs> Lauren says, went to a special 4D showing where you can actually feel Harry Styles spit on you. <laughs> and then Mari says, don't worry, darling, Is actually so good when you don't have a bitch in your ear telling you it isn't. Let me repeat that because Mari just hit it on the nose right there. Don't worry, darling, is actually so good when you don't have a bitch in your ear telling you it isn't. So let me be the opposite of that bitch in your ear. And let me be the angel in your ear telling you, if you have not seen this movie, I just spoiled every single thing for you, but I still highly, highly recommend it. If you have seen this movie, please recommend it to people. I really hope that this movie does well, because Olivia Wilde and all the other filmmakers definitely deserve it and do not deserve the crap that they have been getting for it. Is it a 5-star or 10-star Have You Measure It movie? No. But is it good? Yes, it is. It's pretty dang good. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope that lots of people go and see it. All right, a preview of the upcoming episodes. So the next episode will be released in October, and I'm going to be making all of October episodes be Halloween specials. We're going to be diving into some classic spooky movies. So the next episode that will come out, I have planned to cover The Shining. I'm so excited I have a list of some other spooky movies that are in line with the Halloween season to do throughout October. I'm still trying to decide exactly which ones to use, but I'm thinking maybe The Ring, maybe Blair Witch, maybe Psycho, maybe a fun, shorter episode talking about Hocus Pocus. We shall see. But I'm also planning on gathering a list of my own recommendations for movies to watch to get into the mood of Spooky Season and where you can find them streaming, so stay tuned for that. All right, please, please, listeners, subscribe, rate, and review Ending Explained on whatever platform you're listening on. I love being able to create this content for you guys, and doing this is a quick and easy way to show a little love in return. To all my fellow movie lovers out there, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.